Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the second installment in our Taken movie review series. Today we are reviewing Taken 2. This is your co-host, Corbin. And I'm Alan. Well, we are coming back to Taken 2 a lot quicker than they did. It's been Mm -hmm. four years, so I'm a little surprised it took that long. And they got a new director. Uh, Quite a bit of the crew is different, but still written by the same people. So if you are interested in hearing, you know, my thoughts on why the crew is different, why we get a different director and hearing our talk on scores and box office, all of that is in your guide to take into link to that in the description below. And while you're in the description below, make sure to check out we have timestamps as well. So if you're ready to jump into our thoughts on the movie, if you're ready to jump in to our scores, if you wanted to come and check our scores out for this movie even our final thoughts timestamps are great for that alan always puts those in the description for all the podcasts and make sure to um, be looking out for saturdays as well i want to draw your attention um saturdays i review brand new movies and tv shows of 2021 maybe some bonus reviews from 2020 stuff as well Also in the description, you'll see links to all of the podcast platforms we're on. We're on all the major platforms, links to our social media page, our official website. You can subscribe through your email, get a newsletter every Friday over there. And no matter where you're at, it really does help to leave us five stars and a short written review that really does actually help in the algorithms, get us noticed uh, by other people that are looking for a fun movie review podcast. It helps grow Silver Screen Guide community. That's a free, easy way. But if you do want to support us monetarily, a link in the description also for our Patreon page where you get great bonus content. And that content is yours to keep even if you stop subscribing, but that's the best way to interact with us on a one-on-one basis. And of course, make sure to follow us on Letterboxd as well, because Alan and I watch a lot more movies than just what we what we review on here. And if there's movies in the past, then Letterboxd is a great way to just look up that movie and it'll show our scores for that movie. If we wrote down thoughts, that's a great way to comment there as well. So tons of stuff down there. The next four weeks are always scheduled out. And then you can, of course, click on the link to the full schedule. So I really want to draw your attention to the description because there's tons down there for you. It's not just the catchy write-up of the episode description, but there's a lot more down there. So I got to admit, Alan, I have never seen Taken 2 or 3. I've only seen the first one. Well, I I wouldn't blame you because (laughs) I didn't even realize that there was a Taken 2 or 3. Until one of my friends from college, who just happened to have seen him, brought to my attention that, hey, those two also exist not long after I first watched, or when I first had watched Taken 1. So, I was with you when I was a freshman in college when I first watched all three of these movies. Nice. Yeah, I remember, I remember seeing the trailer for this movie when it came out and I thought, oh, okay, yeah, well, they're making a sequel to Taken. Wow, it's been quite a while. 
you know, when the first one came out, I was 13. At this point, I'm like 17. So mm-hmm. a lot changes between then. I was curious to see it. I always meant to go see it in the theaters, but I never did. Did you see the trailer when it came out? And well, no, I guess you wouldn't have because you didn't even know it existed. Right. No, I uh, I didn't. I'm trying to remember if I actually ended up watching it later. I don't think I did. Okay. I don't think I've ever seen this trailer until this review. Okay. So now that you have seen the trailer, does it pique your interest to come back to the series? I guess it depends on which trailer. Um, because if I were watching one of the international trailers, I would be like, mm, no, probably not. Now, if I had caught, which now to be fair, that would be more unlikely than catching the US trailers. Because the US trailer, the US trailer number one, according to IMDb, was probably the best out of the four that were on there. Um, that one, at the second half of the trailer, it changes tones. And this weird, also kind of uh, strange, but also interesting chorus overlays the rest of the trailer. That got my that got my attention. Um, it paints it as if it's going to be like more of like an in-game kind of a story to what happened in the first Taken. So maybe if I had seen if I had seen that trailer and only that trailer, that maybe I would be interested. Every other thing else, probably not. I would think that oh, they're just trying to cash grab on Taken again. So it kind of depends. That uh, it depends <laughs> on which trailer. So the marketing was a mixed bag for you. It sounds like. Yeah, well, exactly. That's the only trailer that I remembered was that US theatrical trailer number one. And coming back to it, it brought up a lot of memories of seeing it on TV. And it kind of sparked that old excitement I had for originally wanting to see it when it came out. Um, I think the trailer is pretty busy. I mean, there's a just way too much going on in this trailer, but to me, it looks to promise all the thrills and more from the original. And to me, it seems to kind of, yeah, like you said, further tack onto that plot. It looks like there's a reason for it. And so, yeah, I actually thought the trailer was pretty good, especially when it kind of did have that shift into more of that just instrumental or operatic music and just a lot, a lot going on there. Um, and it almost seems to hint at a third one, which really surprised me in this trailer when he talked about you have sons and I'll kill them too. Now, maybe he's just talking about that's a plot in the movie, maybe. But nevertheless, yeah, this trailer still would get me get me to take a look at Taken 2, actually. Mm-hmm. Well, listeners, if you have not seen Taken 2 and you don't want the film spoiled for you, go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and watch the movie and then come back and click play and we'll be ready to talk about it. Shortly after the events of Taken, Brian Mills, reprised by Liam Neeson, is back to living his domestic lifestyle in sunny Los Angeles. The only thing that's changed is Lenny, reprised by Famke Jensen, is in the middle of a divorce with her second husband, Stuart. And Kim, reprised by Maggie Grace, is keeping her new boyfriend, Jamie, played by Luke Grimes, a secret from her dad. Brian quickly finds out about Jamie from Lenny, tracks him down, and interrupts Kim and Jamie's makeout session, thereby embarrassing Kim. He reminds her she needs to focus on passing her driving test, which she's failed twice, in order to get her license. Back at Lenny's house, Brian finds his ex-wife in tears, learning their spring break trip to China is off. She was hoping to patch things up with Stu, and she just wants to get away from all the tension. 
He invites Lenny and Kim to join him in Istanbul, Turkey, after he's done with the security detail. Not sure whether they're joining him or not, he calls Kim, but she surprises him in person along with Lenny. Meanwhile, all of this is happening, the father of Marco, the man who kidnapped Kim and was violently killed by Brian, Murad Krasniki, played by Raid Serbadziza, I, I knew I wouldn't be able to pronounce that, I did my best. <laughs> Murad plots to capture Brian and his family in order to torture them to death, so that Brian can understand the loss he inflicted on the families of those he killed. Hinchman Suko, played by Elaine Figlars, travels from Albania to Paris, France, where he tortures Jean-Claude, reprised by Olivier Rabourdin, into giving him the location of Brian. Jean-Claude claims he does not know, despite them threatening his family. At least in the theatrical cut, this goes nowhere, but we'll talk about it. Suko then travels back to Tirana, Albania, where a government official gives him a picture of Brian, which Suko then pays him money, and then the official tells him Brian will be in Istanbul. Somehow. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. <laughs> Kim sets her parents up on a date while she stays back at the hotel pool. Unfortunately, Brian and Lenny are taken and held hostage by Murad's men. Brian uses a mini phone hidden in his boot to call Kim. She barely escapes the hotel with her life, and then proceeds to use his grenades to set off large explosions, which gives Brian clues to tell Kim where to find them. Finally, Kim is able to locate her parents. Then she proceeds to throw guns down the chimney for Brian to use. She is chased across rooftops until Brian saves her, but he can't save Lenny in time. With Kim at the wheel, father and daughter are in a high-speed chase with local authorities until they ram through the U.S. Embassy checkpoint, finally getting Kim to safety. Brian does what he does best, he tracks Lenny down, defeats Suko in a bloody brawl, and offers Murad the chance to go back home to his other sons, or die here. Choosing the latter, Brian somehow kills him, the theatrical cut doesn't make it clear. Back in the good old US with both of his ladies saved, Kim passes her driver's test and the trio go out for milkshakes. But to Brian's surprise, Kim's boyfriend Jamie is invited. Begrudgingly, he accepts his daughter is growing up as credits roll. So... Okay, as usual, we have to start off positive. Um, I'm sure you and I are itching to get to the negatives, but we do have to start off with our positives. One thing I do actually enjoy um, is that this is all, as far as, I'm able to, as, far, as far as I'm able to tell, this is all shot on film. I think last time we talked about in Take It One, how I think most of it was shot digitally, and then there were some scenes that were shot on film. It, it was a mixed bag between the two of them, right? This time around, all it looks like it's all shot on film, and it looks quite good, all things considered, right? It, they do raise the contrast a little bit, it looks like, but you really get a feeling for that film for giving it that grainy look, giving it those, you know, those interesting locales and settings um, that help kind of sell this tone that they're going for. So in terms of how it was filmed, and that being with, you know, the technique and by which they use the camera, it does look pretty good for all things considered that they used film in this in this movie. It, it, it does, like I said, it sets the tone pretty well and it also makes it somewhat of a visual, uh, an interesting visual for a story like this. Yeah, there is a new cinematographer this time, Romain Lacorbas. I don't know how to pronounce his name really, but that was one of the things mm -hmm. that, that actually genuinely surprised me is I 
thought this movie wasn't going to look good. Now, there's a difference between, I guess, looking good and how the film is edited. That's something we're going to yes. talk about later. <laughs> we will talk about that. <laughs> but as far as, um, yeah, I think for the most part, how it's lit, um, some of these shots, like when Kim is climbing up onto the rooftops and you have that huge uh, mosque in Istanbul in the distance, like the scale, I was really impressed by that, actually. Um, even some of the shots where they're fighting in those kind of like kind of deserted squares or alleys, they actually looked pretty good, um, mm. with some of the lighting and how this is all kind of constructed here. So yeah, I, I'm with you, Alan. I was, I was really surprised. Um, I think the, I think it's filmed very well. Um, I think they take a good advantage of lighting in certain scenes, of um, different places when Brian is freed and he's tracking Lenny down and he's just kind of partially in shadow that shot walking through and there is that great piece of music that I cannot track down because mm -hmm. it's just not available on the internet I think it's called it's something in a different language but it sounds like it's from it was making me think of like the movie Drive or something that kind okay. of like bouncy music to it I'm like oh this this is actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, yeah, there's uh, some stuff to really talk about there that I was really happy about. Yeah, I would say with that scene alone, um, the one you're talking about, that one is probably the only instance where I noticed the music, where I'm like, okay, yep. this is, this is coming compared to everything else. This is, you know, it's pretty good, right? So. In that instance, like, okay, that, that scene with the music does actually work pretty well for me. Yeah, the one the one song that stuck out to my wife, at least, was the song Too Close by Alex Clare. I think it's at the end of the movie. Yep, it plays rolling into the credits, yep. Yeah. yeah. So stuck my out to me too. <laughs> my wife liked it, and she was singing along. I'm like, I've never heard of this, but um, I can't confirm what that was because it's grayed out everywhere I look. I'm guessing it's um, Bagazaz by Casbah Rockers. I don't know. Um, okay. I was, I did think it was interesting. They utilize um, also the piece Tick of the Clock by Chromatics. That's also an Inception. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I tried to listen to the rest of the score and it was nothing to write home about. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so. From a technical aspect, we gave it some praise, but I gotta say, Alan, I, I, I'm already I'm already laughing, and it's a compliment. Okay, it's mm -hmm. it's already a compliment because I just think some of the stuff is either melodramatic or just overplayed, but in a very funny way. When Lenny's like, she's at her boyfriend, and um, Liam Neeson's I know face. What you're talking about. Yeah, his face is like, yep. what? Oh my gosh. And it, for a split second, it looks like he's about to break down and start crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. And then mm -hmm. I just like, it cuts to, it cuts to the next scene because Lenny's like, promise me you won't interfere. Next scene is him like, it, like peeking his head through the side window, like knocking on the door. Honestly, I'm kind of yep. laughing, which I think is a good thing because the rest of the movie is going to be very action packed and you sh like really shouldn't be laughing at the beginning, but at least they're bringing right. some brevity to it that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. For a film like this, 
um, where it does kind of get into the action and Rui doesn't pull away from the action until the very, very end of the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. It is kind of nice that they start off with a little bit of comedy to kind of lighten the mood a little bit before they really get into it later on in the story. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm I'm kind of surprised Kim doesn't have her driver's license, though, because she's in college. And mm -hmm. I thought it was really also kind of funny when uh, my wife even called it out, too. And he's like, I installed a GPS on your phone. You hear scary stories about Cage your age. I'm like, yeah, you mean what happened to her the whole last movie? Yeah, <laughs> and that's kind of one of those things where they don't really bring up what happened to Kim in the last movie mm -hmm. um they kind of do but it's more like what it's more like what brian did right and he, it's his repercussions which is fine but again like we complained about in the last movie they don't really show the emotional fallout from what happened to the first movie yeah um which is yeah. an interesting choice but well, I've, yeah. I've got more thoughts on that, but I'll save that for the disappointing section. Right. But the other thing I really kind of want to actually compliment this movie on is I think that there is some effective action scenes in this movie. I'm not going to say the editing is effective, but I will say they at least bring attention to it that got me invested. Um, particularly when, um, Brian has his first fight and he's fighting those two guys. And I thought if they could do like a one shot, like they do, like with my favorite fight scene, um, with Denzel Washington in the book of Eli, where it's one take and he's fighting five guys at the same time. I'm like, mm -hmm. if they could pull that off here, that would be really good. But nevertheless, I still think it's kind of effective bringing in the tension of how real and how quickly that happens. And I got to say, when they grab Lenny and he's on the phone and that guy shoots his own guy and you're like, oh man, we're playing with different people now. And he yeah. says to Kim, he says, Kim, we're about to be taken. I just like hoop with excitement. I'm like, yeah, like this, this is kind of what I was hoping for. So that's, that really kind of um, turns the whole plot of the first one on his head is, what happens when Brian gets taken? I like that idea. Right. Yeah, that is an interesting idea. And I do agree that in, ter in, in some aspects, the action scenes do really feel like it's a step up from the first taken in some ways. Right. It feels right. like in a couple of scenes, it's a bit more punchy. Um, things hit a bit harder. Obviously, this is a theatrical cut um, than what from what most people are watching when this first released. Um, but even the even the uh, unrated cut, the action, nothing really changes in those action scenes. They might be a little bit longer. There might be a blood splatter where there was actually spit before. But for the most part, kind of like with the first taken, when it comes with unrated cut, the action scenes don't change a whole lot um, outside of making some of the shots last a bit longer or alternate takes or whatever, right? But that okay. all being said, um, that does kind of feel like it, it does still feel like it's in the spirit of that first taken where these action scenes feel, br they do feel kind of brutal. They do go for a more realistic style. Um, editing is a different story when it comes to those action scenes, but for what they tried to do, I feel like that, you know, the attempt is there. Ab absolutely. And at some points you can definitely feel it. Yeah. And I'm going to say they actually improved 
on the car chases from last time, which I felt were very short and didn't leave much of an impact. Whereas, you know, the car chase where Kim is driving, I don't, it's not a bad born ripoff. You know, I think it's kind of a funny play on Kim. This is like Kim's like literal crash course in driver's ed um, mm-hmm. because she doesn't really know how to drive too well, but now she gets to. Um, and I actually like that um, they're doing it together. Uh, my expectations are actually subverted because yeah. I didn't assume they would re because Brian and um, Kim would reunite so quickly. Um, I like that it's, we actually get the reverse scene where in the first film, Brian talks Kim through her taken experience and how to get the best way to kind of help him out. Now he's talking her through how to help him out. And then they kind of team up. Um, and it is kind of funny, like while they're driving, I don't know how she knows how to drive stick unless. Uh, yeah. I was just have to bring that up. How is a non-experienced driver know how to drive stick? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's what my yeah. wife called out. My wife's like, how does she know how to drive stick? There is a dropped line in the beginning where Brian says, I really want you to practice on my car. Maybe it's a stick shift. They don't ever call that out. That's all that he says. That's all we're given. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of funny how she's like, oh my gosh, it's the police. I have I have to stop for the police. And he's like, no, you don't. Keep driving, Kim. Go. <laughs> and just, I shot one of them. <laughs> I sh- <laughs> we're fugitives now. <laughs> So, uh, and of course, it it's ends in an absolutely over-the-top ridiculous way when you think, oh, they're at the U.S. Embassy, slow down. They take out, they cause property damage for no reason. And then he calls his friend. He's like, can you get us out of this? I don't want to be shot because they're like, we've got a suicide bomber or something. It's just crazy. It's a little over-the-top. Yeah, there are a number of things in this that are <laughs> over-the-top. Um, we'll We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. But I do got to say, and then this is an, another one of those, another improvement, same vein that we're already talking about here. In terms of the location that they choose to shoot in, um, or the, I guess just locations in general in Istanbul and on the streets of Istanbul and in those alleyways, it does make for those interesting action sequences. Because in the first Taken, the probably the biggest car chase, in fact, I think to my recollection, the only car chase is the one that's in that construction site, which is kind of a boring place in hindsight to have an action or at least a car chase um so having a car chase in like the middle of the city is which is more born like um a lot more exhilarating because things are a lot tighter um and things you have to act a lot faster you know it's makes it for it makes a much more thrilling scene than shooting an action scene in a uh in a construction site that's essentially just a dirt pile with a few machines here and there so that's one thing, too, I'd like to add to this list of positives is not just in the action scenes, too, but just kind of in general. The location that they shoot that they have chose to shoot this film in does help service how the film looks as well as it as those action scenes and then also subsequent scenes that are not necessarily action driven. Yeah, I mean, I think I really like the locations a lot, um, even where the bad guys kind of have their lair. The um, Murad sits in this room with like just a old busted down piano which I think is a very interesting visual to kind of explore. I mean, just that's a really intriguing idea. I don't know if I would have thought to have put a, you know, dilapidated piano in the middle of the room and he just kind of sits in that chair. And even when um, Suko and Brian have their final fight, I don't know where they're fighting at. They're fighting in some kind of bathhouse or something, but they stand on top of that 
that uh, thing and uh, Lenny's kind of left in the shower room. Nevertheless, it looks very interesting. I I do, I mean, I like that the final action sequence was on a boat. That was kind of cool because there was kind of that ticking clock scenario of uh, tight quarters, get jump on, jumping onto the boat, having to get through it. But I like mm. just the usage of the space in this one and it just looks really strange how they're standing on top of this thing. But um, yeah, and then of course, driving through the streets, these streets are really tight. Um, there is an ancient city. It really wasn't made for cars and they're taking a lot of right. shortcuts. So I, I thought it was kind of fun and exciting. I got into it. Of course, I think the Bourne movies are better, but yeah, there in my mind, there is no competition. Right. Um, but yeah, I did also find some of the dialogue just to be funny. I don't know if they're trying to make it funny, but you know, aside from that opening stuff I talked about when one of the henchmen, they're trying to get Kim and the henchman goes into the wrong room and he shoots this guy. And then the other one was like, hey, what's going on? And he just says, over subtitles, I shot some guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, um, when Brian is trying to track down Lenny and the shopkeeper is like, you can't come in. And then he sees Brian has a gun <laughs> and Brian is like, get lost. That made yeah. me and my wife just like crack up. Well, I got to say, Corbin, um, I'm, I'm out of positives. You're out. Um, Unless you have more, I don't have anything on my end. So my final positive, and this is just kind of an overarching thought, is I think this movie is good in the department of it just kind of being like DLC. And DLC is like downloadable content. I mean, this is where the disappointing parts will come in. This will flow into it. I don't really think this movie is like a full-fledged story in its own right, per se. But I do think as kind of a tack on to the end of the first one, or it's just like the further adventures or seeing what just comes next. I at least like the conceit of, yeah, these bad guys weren't just operating in a vacuum. They had maybe there, maybe it's a generational thing. The Albanians are going to come in and track him down and they're going to want to kill his family. I think that's a logical follow up is what I'm saying. Yeah, I I think that's actually an almost perfect way of uh, explaining what the story is. Um, it very much is like, you know, a, like a DLC. Here's an extra par portion to this main storyline. Um, if you wanted to, you know, if you wanted to pay fifteen bucks for it or whatever. Right. Yeah, I know. I I agree that it is very much that way. It's very much a story that. You doesn't exactly need to exist, I guess you could say. Um, but they made it anyways. That services the first what services what came before it. So I, I agree. It, that's a very good way. I think a very good way of kind of contextualizing what Taken Two really is is saying that it's more or less just DLC from what the first movie was, even though it's in the same length um, <laughs> in terms of runtime. <laughs> It still applies it nonetheless. Yeah. And you know, with DLC, you don't get the full meat of the original mm -hmm. game. You really just get an add-on. And that's where I'm kind of disappointed. We're missing a lot of the emotional fallout from that first movie. Because as Alan previewed earlier, that was a very emotionally disturbing experience for daughter, father, father and daughter, for everybody to go through. But Kim doesn't have any intimacy issues 
which, you know, there's that scene where we see Jamie kind of start to unbutton her clothes and you thought, thought maybe she might get kind of, um, have some PTSD about mm -hmm. that and have some intimacy issues or any kind of issues. There's just one tiny conversation where she says, I want to feel normal, even if I'm just pretending. I'm like, okay, good, good. Yeah, this is a good starting point. Let's let's keep going. And right. It goes absolutely nowhere. Right. Yeah, I know that in the theatrical cut um, of the scene when when we're introduced to the boyfriend and they're making out on the couch. Yeah. She does stop him and say something to the effect of, I don't know if I'm ready um, and I really like you or whatever. And he says, you know, well, take your time, no problem at all, kind of thing. In the unrated cut, in the theatrical cut, they don't stop that at all. It's Brian who stops all of that. What? Um, so, like, he's the one who knocks on the door and puts a stop to it, right? Oh. So, it's, I think it works better in the, in the unrated cut because at least it has some notion that, you know, that Kim has some emotional fallout from the previous movie's events. Yeah. It's really, really loose and rather weak, but at least it's there to a certain degree. Yeah. Okay. So now that we've talked, like you've brought up the other cuts, I've got a couple questions because I found one of the most confusing aspects of this movie. And this is actually under the bad section for me that I just think is really bad is this movie has some significant continuity issues, at least in the first act. Because we bring Jean, the character Jean-Claude back because the Albanians mm -hmm. go to France to interrogate him where to find Brian. We have no resolution as to if Jean-Claude lives, what information he gives them, whether his family is okay. As far as I could tell, that was completely dropped because the next time we see those guys is they're back in Albania talking to some government official which gives them a photo. That's something I talked about in the plot summary is either there's some cut scenes or this stuff is missing because I forgot all about it until I went to write up the plot. And I'm like, oh yeah, those were just plot elements completely dropped. So in terms of Jean-Claude, uh, there isn't a whole lot added to the outcome of Jean-Claude when the Albanians leave. Um, so we're on the same page there. As far as I remember, they don't really do much with him after that scene ends. They, in fact, they don't really do much with, much with him at all. Um, just other than getting information out of him. Um, they don't get any so in terms information of that out of him. scene. What's that? <laughs> they don't get any information out of him. That, that's true. That's true. That scene in reality doesn't really serve much of a purpose to begin with. Um, in terms of that scene, nothing much has changed. There are a couple of scenes that do um, add some more to the story that are in the unready cut that are not for some reason in the theatrical cut. One of those being um, there's a shot. I think it's right. It's OK. In the, in the theatrical cut, it's when the big bad guy, um, Marco's father, meets Brian for the first time. It's when Brian's tied up. Um, there's a scene. Actually, there's like there's, I, it's like a portion that's added on to this before he walks in the door where his son comes in and like beats up on Brian a little bit, which sets up the son for later when they have a fight later on in the story at the very end of the movie kind of gives it a bit more context for that, a bit more like stakes there. So the son is introduced a bit earlier, um, which I was wondering why in the world is he fighting this guy at the end of the story? What's so special about this? 
until I remember, no, I found out on Ready Cut, oh, it's his son. Um, so oh. that's one thing that's been added in. So you find out that's his son in the unrated cut? Because I had no idea that was his son until you just said that. Yes, it is. Oh, is yeah, it that is explains his son. so much. Um, okay. I, and I only found this up because I was looking through the differences um, to anticipate what I was about to see. Because I think when I watched this movie originally, it must have been the unrated cut. Because we have the added scene, which you didn't see, Corbin, um, where Kim and... Uh, Brian go to hang out, you know, mm -hmm. and the first thing they do before they go on the boat is Kim decides that she wants to go dancing. And so there's a quick scene of her in a dance club with her. It, it's it's what? not, it doesn't add anything. It's not really worth talking about. But I remember seeing that. I was like, okay, this I remember. So I, I guess when I first watched this, it must, it must have been the unrated cut. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. So I got to say, I'm really disappointed that the Jean-Claude thing is utterly worthless. I mean cut it out it doesn't lead anywhere that's just terrible storytelling mm -hmm. um it it serves no purpose whatsoever it's very confusing and it's almost like it's it doesn't make any sense because he goes to france to learn nothing but then he goes back to albania and this government official who we don't know who it is randomly knows brian is in istanbul and that's how they get there it makes no sense at all right yeah that's the one thing and this opening honestly is uh it's this is one of those almost unintentionally funny edits that they make is they just keep jumping back and forth between the Albanians and Ryan with his family and the cuts are so like the cuts are so drastic mm -hmm. that it's almost kind of funny because they're having this such happy moment where they're with the family and whatnot trying to figure things out and then they smash cut to the Albanians <laughs> beating up Jean-Claude trying to get information out of him as to where Brian is yeah um I, I get they're trying to set up like you know th the context and have that that dichotomy that's on purpose that dichotomy of the you know the messiness of the Albanians who are out for blood and Brian with his family with his, his loving family, but in terms of how it's edited, it's not edited very well and it really takes away. But in terms in terms of the guy that they pay who tells them that. Um, Brian is in Istanbul. I'm with you. Uh, that makes no sense at all. And how he knows that, I, who, no one would ever know. Okay. The other thing is, when did we learn Brian was doing a job in Istanbul? Because I missed it and my wife caught it. But I, I mean, and I tried to go back and search in those scenes. All of a sudden, he's just like, Lenny, why don't you and Kim come with me? And she's like, but you're working. And I'm like, working on what? I mean, they don't make it this clear, which I think is really important. They make clear why our main characters are going to be in Istanbul. And how are mm -hmm. these connections? It's just wildly sloppy. No, you're, yeah, I, I'm with you. The only time we understand that he's going to Istanbul is in that scene when he talks to Lenore and tells, and she's like, well, you'll be working. Then we understand, okay, he must be doing something in Istanbul. And judging by what he did in the first movie where he was a security detail for that pop singer, if you've seen the first one, that is, um, <laughs> then at least I was able to logically conclude it must be some security detail for some reason in Istanbul. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they don't really explain that. So I can see why you missed it. Can we agree the first act is just kind of a mess? Because, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, for another instance is his three friends come back. They've recast one of them. And they really serve no purpose except to remind the audience 
or to inform the audience that hasn't seen the first one since four years have passed, that these are his old buddies that can help him out of situations because he calls one of them later to get him out of a situation which we never see the resolution to. We just know mm -hmm. that all of a sudden cut to him. Kim is safe magically, I guess, and he's just walking down the streets. Um, the yeah. first act's a mess. It's a mess. It, it is. In <laughs> fact, I know in the ready cut, there was an added scene and it, it does kind of add to it is you know kind of a, a humorous scene when um is after he grabs uh kim from her boyfriend's house he does call sam and we do get a shot of sam um of him and them having a conversation because i think in the theatrical cut he doesn't answer um but mm -hmm. he asks he asks sam hey could you take a look at this kid named jamie for me Oh. Um, but even then that even that doesn't get any resolution either there are a lot of things in here that are brought up like that instance and then the one that you mentioned a second ago where they don't really resolve them um they're kind of not super important in reality but it just kind of feels like it would would add a bit more to the story if they did go that step further to say what would have happened after they smashed through the u.s embassy um and just walk away like what what's the outcome of that yeah, I know there there is a number of things in here, unfortunately, that have like pretty strong buildups and the resolution can fizzle out hard, I would say sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm disappointed because of his big fight with Suko, which that guy doesn't really look like much of a match for Brian, yet he does seem to like get the upper hand on him a number of times. I think mm -hmm. the uh, fight choreography is actually pretty good at times during that um, final fight. But I think it's maybe the theatrical cut. He just kind of shoves his face or rubs his hand against his face. And the same when he uh, defeats the old bad guy, like I was like pretty pumped when um, he turns around like he's just going to unre unleash the wrath on him. And then nothing happens, really. It just I'm like, oh, he's dead. He just I, it's really confusing. And I understand it's PG-13, but does the unrated cut clear this up is there more is it a more violent death because i don't get it at all yes it does okay and I, was, I was as confused as you were when i watched that theatrical cut because he just falls down and then all of a sudden he's just magically dead yeah, and i, I thought maybe he fell on his knife I don't um, know. what happened <laughs> what really happened is there's an added shot um or i think it's actually an extended shot in the unrated cut where he hits his head when they fall down, he hits his head on the side, and that kills him. Ooh, Why they decided great. to remove that from the PG-13 cut, I have no idea. Because it's not gruesome at all. He, he just, you know, bumps his head on, I think it's like a concrete slab or whatever. Yeah. Um, but not having that just confused, at least it confused us, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Because we didn't know what happened to him. He just all of a sudden is dead when, he, when they fall down. It's like they missed a portion of editing that scene and skipped to the end after the bad guy had died um, magically in, in terms of the edit. Yeah. I think we are in agreement that the editing is kind of garbage in this oh. movie. Oh, oh, yeah. No, this is a horribly edited movie. And not just in terms of like, you know, moving from scene to scene, because as we noted, this first act is not good, right? Mm -hmm. It's also horribly edited in terms of just its action scenes and oftentimes its dialogue scenes because the this movie broke me really early on. There is a scene, well, there's a, it's when 
uh, Brian first talks with the L- Lenore in this movie. Yeah. Um, that scene, I was like, oh no, this is like this. I haven't seen this for a long time, but now I'm beginning to remember why I didn't like it in the first place. Because that scene with him and Lenore is incredibly boring by the way that it's edited. Every line of dialogue gets a cut and it just goes back and forth between two of the same shots of a shot reverse shot for almost the entire conversation. It almost immediately bored me because there is no, there's hardly any variance to it. And that's not just the first time that that happens. It happens multiple times in the story. And along with those action scenes, which we'll talk about in a second, are also horribly edited. So yeah, this editing in this movie is, is abominable. It's not, not good. So I checked, we have not only one different editor this time, we have two different editors. The last movie was edited by one person. This movie was edited by two people. Hmm, okay. Two editors, um, I think one woman and one man, Camille and Vincent maybe. Okay. I I don't know, but yeah, I am really disappointed. I mean, I didn't think, I didn't really like the editing last time, but it was at least more competent and engaging than this one is. And you're right. The way the first act is edited is very kind of lifetime, kind of Hallmark-esque, where it's just really straightforward. You're really not trying to do anything dazzling. And then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden it goes crazy when it comes to action scenes. And I didn't think it was terrible. I think what I was expecting was what I've heard Taken 3 is, where it's basically like a cut every second where he's trying to jump over a fence or something, and it's like 12 different cuts of him getting over <laughs> a fence. Um, I know my wife was really bothered by the editing in this movie because it is just all over the place. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely is. And it it, it really bothered me be, uh, as well. And part of it is that it's trying so hard to be that Paul Greengrass style of editing yep. when it comes with born movies, right? You're and we imitating. know that in the first one, right? That's 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 something that these movies have always taken off of is those born movies. Um, and even the first one tried to emulate this, and I would say it did it a little bit better because it's not as choppy as it is here. This one feels incredibly choppy um, when it comes to how it's edited because the camera in those Paul Greengrass movies, it feels like you know they're going for that realistic style, right? Which is what they're doing here, but how they edit that around that to make it feel realistic is much it's very very different and this one it's chopped up where it it's really hard to follow and when you do try to follow it it at least for me it was hurting my eyes because it would cut and every second um every time there's an action it would cut right and the camera is just so it's not as it's not as crazy as it is in the paul greengrass film it's quite still unfortunately which makes this even more jarring when it goes when it cuts back and forth in these action scenes or mostly in particular uh the hand-to-hand combat scenes uh that really really did stick out to me yeah this does have kind of trade-offs from the green grass style because when it comes to fight sequences it's kind of green grass but with a couple energy drinks in it it's really all over the place very frenetic but some of the things i really hate with the green grass style is when it's just focusing on one person talking and the camera's just like shaking Mm -hmm. like the person has Parkinson's disease that's holding it. I'm not making fun of people with Parkinson's disease. I'm just saying that's what it makes me think of. And um, I, I, I at least we don't have that. So maybe if we do have just boring, you know, static, um, like you were saying, shot reverse shots for some of this stuff, 
maybe I'll take that a little bit over some of that green grass where it's just like, just focus on your subject, quit shaking that dang camera so much. But I get it. That's right. a stylistic choice. But as far as the editing goes, is you're right. It's very disappointing. It is. I mean, my wife called it out numerous times where she's like, I have no idea what's going on right now. Yeah. And I got to agree with this yeah, and see, that's the biggest problem. When you notice the editing, even from somebody who doesn't actively review movies, right? right? When you notice the editing, that's when you know you're doing a bad job. Because if somebody else can, if you are able to see it and are able to watch it and are noticing things like that, then you're doing your, you're not doing your job right, right? That's, editing should be seamless. It should explain everything without having the audience notice that there's being, that it's being edited. Right. That's the whole thing about it. Right. It should be it should be presenting information correctly to the audience in theory. And as we're seeing here, that's not quite the case. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's unfortunate. But I mean, some of the other issues that I have with this movie is uh, part of the setup. I like I like that that I've already said he's got to deal with the repercussions. But the other part is it's just kind of cheesy. It's just kind of dumb that first of all, they bought caskets for these you know sex criminals drug lords or whatever um they buy caskets for them they ship them to albania which would be very expensive and then mm -hmm. they have like the whole village it comes out and all these women are crying everybody's crying i'm like do you know what these people were doing and the dad is rightfully angry but he's like you took my son from me and brian's like yeah you took my daughter from me like it you you're doing the same thing and so right. I, I just find that really unbelievable that like i don't really think all these people have families back home that are crying over them and love them and they're like you ruined all of the village these all the villagers children are dead and i don't know i just think that that's kind of dumb yeah and that's one of those things too they don't really ever explore um anything in, uh, with the albanians at all. I mean, in the first one, they did a little bit of that, right? They right. said, oh, well, they came in a few years ago before now, and now there's hundreds of them, right? We let them in, and we were giving them, you know, you know some kind of immunity, um, but now there's way too many of them, right? We at least got something out of it, right? In this one, we get to see that they're from Trafoya, um, but that's it. Like, we <laughs> see that they have other people that are a part of, like, their community, but that's about as far as that goes. Um, if they were maybe to explore something, some more, something more about these Albanians and maybe even go down the route of maybe making, or at least trying to make sense of what they were doing uh, or explaining it in some way, maybe that would make it a bit of a different story. But yeah, we don't get that here either. Yeah, I mean, this movie pulls in the emotions or puts the focus on the emotions in all the wrong places because mm -hmm. they're trying to make an emotional case for what Murad is doing. and that is dumb nobody's is ever going to see his point of view or be on his side he raised a murderous rapist a horrible human being and they're all evil so i'm almost like are they trying to get us to see from his point of view don't even go there they need to and where they um, don't even really try is with kim so we already yeah. talked about how we're disappointed they're not focusing on the fallout from her emotions but they're trying to explore the, well, okay, never mind. They're not trying to explore the emotions. They're trying to say there are emotions and they're not going to explore them because they know they can't. Not, no, nobody in the audience is going to get on their side. It's just strange, right. honestly. 
Right. And even in when we noted in the last one, or at least I, I had this issue in the last one where I didn't feel like, you know, there was enough emotion in a story like what it's trying to tell. I didn't feel like there was enough there right. to justify what it went through. Right. And this one, luckily, they don't really ever like they mention it. They bring it up here and there, but it's not like a main topic of the, that human trafficking element that was in the first movie. Right. That's not really present here. They bring it up every once in a while, but it's not the main focus. Their main focus is the action, right? And this is an action movie through and through, right? This is not even close to anything like a drama film. This is an action movie. And I would say to its detriment, because that's really all that I can categorize it as is only an action movie. And everything's action, especially after a certain point. I feel like mostly nothing else really matters at the end of the day. It feels like it's only served there just so we can have a cool action scene if you want to call it that which ends up being horribly edited um mm. and sometimes even wildly confusing yeah i mean my last negative is kind of like the first one and okay that's just an overall critique is it follows the formula of the first one way too closely Be- yeah because the first movie had dealt with the singer and you know the daughter wants to be a singer he gets a karaoke machine and then it ends with the singing lessons so this one of course has to wrap around to kim gets her driver's license which who cares she's like super old at this point anyway should have it right um right and then they go out for milkshakes and then jamie is invited and brian has to be cool with that and we get this weird zoom out shot of the pier they're eating milkshakes on i don't understand that anyway um yeah yeah and you know i i was really confused about jamie because he seems to the movie at first i was against him because he is kind of being i would say sexually aggressive and inappropriate with kim trying to unbutton her clothes you know and then all of a sudden he's just actually supposed to be a stand-up guy that's just his hormones coming out I guess he's right. really not not bad at all. Um, nothing came up on that background check or whatever. So I just got to say it's a goofy ending. That's the way I can only describe it as it's goofy. <laughs> I mean, you're right. Even from the rated cut, it, that ending doesn't change and it's still a goofy ending. They do now in the rated cut. I, I brought this up earlier, right? In that scene when they're making out on the couch, he does stop because she gets un- somewhat uncomfortable, right? Right. So had they added that in, which I don't understand why they didn't in the PG-13 cut, um, that would probably make his character, I feel, you know, a little bit more like he's on the good side, right? Because in the theatrical cut, the way that it's edited, again, is that it makes him feel like he's trying to progress even further, um, especially from the context of last movie. Um, that's kind of a uh, don't really go there kind of a thing, right? Had they given that context in this movie, which they don't, that would have made all the difference. And that's kind of one of those things, too, right? Again, with this editing, for whatever reason, there were things cut out of this in the theatrical cut that are important. Um, Like this, like I was just talking about, right? It makes the characters seem completely different in the two cuts um, because they cut out something. Uh, And this is not the only only, uh, instance of this. There's also um, the son, or I guess the brother to to Marco, right? He's introduced much earlier, gives him some kind of setup so that way when they have, when Brian and him fight in the ending, there's something at least there, right? That's not in the theatrical cut. There are things that are missing between these two cuts that makes the theatrical cut, theatrical cut far inferior to the, the to the unrated one because 
it's confusing how they edit it. They edit around so poorly that it makes that film so confusing. There are things like miss like important things that are missing in that that help round out the story. Yeah. I mean, as much as you can. Yeah, there's a lot of connective tissue that's just missing here from just a narrative standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I never get an understanding of who the sub-villain is. Suko is his name. I don't even ever remember hearing his name. I didn't know he was the son. When they're fighting at the end, I'm like, why are these two fighting? Like, who is this yep. guy? It's just really surprising, to say the least. Um, my wife's theory is that Jamie is actually one of um Murad's sons and he is planted in their life so we will see if that comes true next time <laughs> right so it is kind of the we okay we did bring this up a couple of times that there are some things in here that are genuinely funny some things and a lot of things in my mind that are uh accidentally funny but were you laughing when um when Brian asks Kim, hey, pull a grenade out and just just throw it. I want to count and see how far away you are when it explodes. Were you laughing or like what's going on when that happened? And then that happens even more later on when she gets closer to him. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. That that I did want to bring that up as well. Um, that was something I made a point to bring up in the plot summary because it is hilarious. Mm -hmm. Now, the first time she did it, which is kind of crazy. It was shocking, but it was actually kind of cool. I think that whole sequence is pretty cool where he's using the sound and how long it takes sound to travel to him to judge the distance of from where Kim is to where he is. I right. was like, okay, that's actually kind of cool to see some of these um, skills that we didn't get to see a whole, I mean, we kind of saw them in the first one and then she's doing the map and the radius and whatnot. But at a certain point, it just became hilarious when she's just running on rooftops in Istanbul. Nobody cares. And yeah. she's just chucking grenades left and right. And like water towers are ruining people's lunches. It's just hilarious. My wife and I were cracking up. Yep. The, like nothing happens. Like there are no repercussions for this. So it's almost like it's just like a typical day in Istanbul almost. Yeah. <laughs> People just tossing grenades like it's nothing. And they throw three. They she throws three of them before she finally finds out where her dad is, right? Like that's not an insignificant amount. Even just throwing one is not an, even an insignificant amount. Just toss a grenade off and let it explode in the middle of Istanbul. It's it's shocking. It's I think they thought it was kind of cool, but after a while, it becomes hilarious. Yeah, it's one of those things, and I, I noted this down, that this movie just sometimes will take illogical paths to get to its end goal. This is one of those, right? Toss grenades off so I can figure out how far away you are, right? That kind of a thing. <laughs> um, and then later on, after he kills Marcos', Marcos's brother, Marad, um, he pulls out his phone and then calls his dad, then follows the ringtone to find his dad in the same building. That's like a like a few like a few doors down from where he was initial initially. It's just one of those things where it's like, uh, I, I guess that works. <laughs> I'm even I'm trying to even remember that. It's after it's at the very end. It's right when he has a conversation, right before he has a conversation with uh, the big bad guy. I, I don't even know his name. Um, the one he the one he fights, Suko? No, no. After he kills Zuko. Okay. He takes his phone and then calls his dad. Like calls yeah. Zuko's dad. Okay. And that's how he finds Yeah, yeah, that was weird too. I thought mm -hmm. like 
because he's just off in some corner, just around the corner. And he's like helplessly standing there. He looks helpless. And he's like, are you going to kill me? And he's like, no, I'll let you walk away. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Then, of course, he wants to kill him. But he pulls the unloaded gun trick again, which he did in the first one. Another ripoff of the first one. And then he just turns around and he magically dies. So, yeah, that was kind of shocking as well. Like, that's kind of what I was saying earlier is this movie can like really build it up, build up my excitement. And then just as quick, I mean, quick as it builds up, it just takes it away. And I'm like, oh, man, that is real, real uh, kill buzzkill right there. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) All right, Alan. I am actually genuinely curious about this one because I'm you. I don't know. Your rating might go both ways. What is your rating and recommendation for Taken 2? I didn't know what to expect watching Taken 2 when I first watched it back when I was in college. Um, I didn't even know that it had come out when I was was back in college until my friend told me about it. Um, And coming back to it now, I understand why I initially gave it a 3 out of 10 on IMDb. Oh. Um, That's what my original score was. I think it was actually more of a six, and then I just continued to drop it down as I thought about it over the years. Either way, Taken 3 is a mess. It's a complete mess. Um, in some points, it's almost worth it. Um, like when they decide to just start tossing grenades off in Istanbul. Uh, but for the most part, it's ju- it just hurts to watch because you're not just like, not like in that way, but more like it hurts my eyes to watch because of how it's edited. Or because of how they don't explain certain things in certain cuts, or what have you, right? It, it that's not put together very well, right? And it really, really takes away from the overall impact of the story. But that aside, what is put away, what it's you know, what it's how it's edited and whatnot aside, I still don't think this is a very engaging story just to begin with, right? It just kind of feels like it's run of the mill. If like you mentioned the very the very start of this podcast, it's DLC from the first movie. That's a perfect way of explaining it. So taken two, uh, no, I'm not going to recommend it. And in fact, I'm going to stick with my original score of three out of ten, and I'm going to say it's uh, it's totally not worth your time. Taken two is a fun DLC. Unfortunately, it's really not much of a standalone story in its own right. I mean, I like the conceit of the older generation coming after Brian. His actions aren't performed in a vacuum. There will be repercussions. And I really like that Kim isn't taken again. She's actually helping her dad, even though what she's given to do is corny. As I first mentioned, Taken 2 feels more an appendage onto the main story of the first film, rather than a fully realized sequel. There are significant continuity issues, the villain's demise isn't great, and the editing may induce a headache, but this is such an easily digestible popcorn flick, it's continually action-packed, the thrills are well-placed, it has all the right laughs to make it so bad it's good, and it's a rapid 85 minutes, even if you didn't like it, you won't walk away feeling like your time was wasted. I was pleasantly surprised since I came in with the lowest of expectations. It's not a great sequel by any stretch of the imagination, but it has a solid concept, albeit cheesy, and it's a satisfying addition if you're looking to delve further into the Taken universe without risk of investment. Taken 2 receives 6 stars out of 10 with a mild recommend. (laughs) 
<laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I can accept that. <laughs> I wasn't sure where you were going to land with this. I think what helped is I came in with rock bottom expectations. I was expecting something awful. And I think like what I got was something to me that is so bad it's good. Like there's something here that I could watch and enjoy. And for me, it's so quick. I mean, I didn't feel like I wasted my time because it just everything happens so fast. I think it was done in an hour and 25 minutes and credits rolled. Um, mm. Yeah, it's not not very good. There's a lot of issues with it. But so so you don't think it's so bad it's good. Or do you think that? I think that there are aspects that are so bad it's, that it's good. Gotcha. But as an overall package, I don't think it's quite there yet. Well, you, Alan, are two for two. You have not recommended the first or the second, and your rating dropped by three points. You're going from a six to a three. That's that's a big deal. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, so far, we have we only have one other movie to go. Mm-hmm. Um, at least so far, it's not looking too good uh, for Taken Three. Although I've already spoiled myself with Taken Three, so I know what to expect coming into it. Hopefully, I'll have a different mindset because I, I think that I, from what how I initially saw this uh, from Taken Two, that is coming to it now, I do have a lot more thoughts on it, a lot more differing thoughts than what I had initially given it. Even though my score remains the same, the reason for that score is is a bit different. So we'll see if that's the same thing with Taken 3 um, when that comes around next week. That one I'm really excited to see what your thoughts are on. (laughs) I'm really curious too because this movie wasn't as bad as I was expecting. So I'm wondering if it's going to be the same case for the third one. Am I going to be pleasantly surprised? Judging by all of the scores, uh, people kind of think it's garbage except for audiences also gave it a B plus. So I'm, I'm very confused on what to expect going into it next week, but yeah, nevertheless, I still have to ask Alan, is it a pickup or pass? Well, if I hadn't already bought the Blu-ray for this (laughs) review, uh, for, so we could watch it, uh, it probably would be a no. Um, but I do own it. (laughs) <laughs> whether it's good or bad yeah um, it's in my collection now so there it will remain until i get something that's better than standard blu-ray that's funny because yeah i would definitely own this movie i got some enjoyment out of it i wouldn't spend very much money on it but it's one that i would have my collection too you know honestly if i'm gonna watch the first taken i might as well pop in taken two and they're so short i mean you could have the duology done in less than three hours yeah i mean you can you can finish this entire trilogy in an afternoon oh yeah like you said they're all i think they're all about an hour and a half yeah i went ahead and checked it's 290 minutes for all of it and that's if you watch all of the credits Uh, if you cut out the credits it's going to be shorter but 290 minutes that looks like it clocks in about four hours and 50 minutes but take out the credits yeah you're looking about Four, four twenty, maybe. Yeah, uh, it's really okay. Short. So I did, I did, I did also lie. Taken three is an hour and forty eight minutes, so it's a bit longer than these two. But still, mm-hmm. that's not very long, all things considered. Especially when you pack it into the other two. Mm-hmm. If you have a free afternoon, you want to watch a <laughs> not a very good trilogy. This is not a bad choice. Yeah, yeah. We're look- trying time wise. I'm curious to see what they'll do with that almost extra 20 minutes. Maybe they're going to make the credits longer. I don't know. 
But yeah, I'm curious why it's a little longer. But Alan, what other um, TV or film recommendations do you have? You didn't recommend this one. So what else would you recommend? So I'm going to recommend The Transporter. There is a movie called The Transporter Refueled, which is done by Oliver Megaton. Um, Might see that come back later. But The Transporter, it's an early, cheesy, early 2000s action film. It kind of fits in with this, uh, you know, to be honest. Um, Although I do do find it a bit better um, than Taken 2. So The Transporter with Jason Statham, um, that's my recommendation. Yeah, listeners, for those of you that listen to your guide to Taken, you'll know the connection that film has to the transporter. And now I kind of actually really want to review those movies. So we'll see. Maybe next year uh, we'll we'll come on to the transporter franchise. I don't know. That's a dangerous thing you just said, Corbett. I've seen (laughs) two of them. I can tell you how it ends. Um don't spoil it for us. I, I, I'm not going to. I can't wait. But my film recommendation is going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger's Commando. Ooh. I've, That's a good choice. I felt like, you know what? Commando, I find Commando to be so bad, it's good. It's hilarious mm. in its own 80s way. It's about a daughter who's kidnapped and the father who is ex-military has to save her. It's basically the same plot but it's 80s and it's incredible we've actually reviewed it i don't think it's actually available for anybody to listen to unless you you well you can you can go it's uh you can go pay for it it's a bonus episode so Mm -hmm. yeah listeners unless podbean messed it up i don't know (laughs) but (laughs) last time i checked listeners you can go hear our thoughts on commando go ahead and type it in and i think it's like a dollar to listen to it something like that dollar or two but I love Commando. It's it's so good. That's a good movie. Well, Taken 3 was an inevitability because at this point, the franchise was a like over half a billion dollar franchise for movies that were made on less than a hundred million dollars. Right. And opening weekend for this movie was big. So, of course, it makes sense. Taken 3 would come a couple years later. Audiences did have to wait three years it returned to January. That scares me. Uh, early January of 2015. So that wasn't too long ago. It was about six years ago at this point. But uh, yeah, Alan, Alan really has got me curious about about Taken Three. <laughs> you have no idea how excited I am for you to see this. Oh dear. And to review it next week. Ooh. Oh dear. I'm so excited. <laughs> Well, Alan, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. All right, listeners. Question after the show is, is taken too too much for you? Or is it just the right level of cheesiness? All right. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we will see you next week. I'm excited. I am actually really excited to finally get to see this movie that I've heard so many uh, things about. I won't say good <laughs> things, but so many things about. Listeners, we will see you next week with Taken. Three.
Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. Alan, what other um, TV or film recommendations do you have? You didn't recommend this one, so what else would you recommend? The Transporter. It came out in the early 2000s with Jason Statham. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't seen any of the sequels except for Transporter Refueled, which we don't talk about. Actually, I take it back. I'm going to recommend The Transporter and The Transporter Refueled. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm going to take that back because I'm going to save that for taking three. I've already decided. Um, okay. I'm going, to, I'm going to redo this whole thing for me.